And that is a great reminder of the overarching emphasis of the study of this book. The revelation of Jesus Christ. Learning more, more about Jesus. And the final chapters. Jesus has accomplished all. The lamb that has been slain has accomplished all that's necessary for us to have relationship with him. And we will see more of that and the worship and the blessings that are graciously bestowed upon those who put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And uh, we're, I'm looking forward to that this morning. If there are those here this morning that you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, even at the beginning as we continue, you won't understand these truths without knowing him personally. And you can put your faith and trust in him today, even now. And uh, trust in uh, the work of the Lamb, the Savior Jesus Christ. Have your robes cleansed, your sins cleansed, and be a child of God through that. And we encourage that, um, even at the beginning here. Well, uh, last week was, was pretty ominous, wasn't it? It was terrible, actually, as we contemplate the judgments that will take place at the end of, really, the end of the world before Jesus comes back and establishes his kingdom. And these are awful things to contemplate, and yet remember that uh, we are told that those that read and understand will receive a blessing. I think a part of that is a uh, soberness and maybe uh, more uh, a challenge to declare Christ, to save people, or not we don't save people, but to help people understand that they, Jesus has offered the way of salvation away from this time of judgment, that we don't want to be a, a part of this. And remember, we're only halfway through the tribulation so far, and we'll continue, the, the, the book of Revelation will continue to give us an overview of these things. Tonight, we're going to go back to study, to um, more background behind all of this. We're going to talk more about the Antichrist in Daniel and also in Matthew 24. Um, I think that will be helpful for us. <clears throat> then after that, just so you're aware, I've been praying about this, and I think I'm going to go this route. As we continue through Revelation, there's a lot of very sobering information about judgments and things going on that we need to know about. We're going to continue on, but I'm, I think I'm going to move that to the evening service. And there are some themes in Colossians as we get toward the end that are so important for God's people, basic things that will help us in our worship um, to be more vibrant. And, and all of God's Word does that. Don't misunderstand me. But I think it'll be good for us to kind of switch focus on that as we finish up Colossians together. Well, <clears throat> back to Revelation and the end of 6, if you'll remember. There was, in the midst of all of these judgments, but specifically, though, the sixth seal, where it literally <clears throat> seems to people that the earth is uprising and in tumult and great earthquakes and all of these things are, are coming in more severity. The famine, uh, people that are dying, and these, this last seal is the sixth seal, not the last seal, but the one, the last one we talked about last week. Makes people um, realize that the wrath of God and the Lamb is upon them, and even more, being more, even more 
horrible than facing these awful tumults within the very earth. Islands literally uh, collapsing into the sea and mountains tumbling. These are going to be grave difficulties. Even the sky looking like it's moving back and forth. Maybe some sort of northern lights phenomenon or whatever. People are terrified by this, but they say they would rather die from these things than face the wrath of the Lamb and of God. We normally don't think of the Lamb as, face, as wrathful. We don't think. We, we like to think of the loving, caring Jesus in the Gospels, and of course that is, that's our hope, and we're thankful for that. Then we have this vision at the beginning of Revelation, this glorious vision of the glorified Christ in um, His power and His majesty. And even in that, he is giving sober warnings to the churches, but he's helpful in this. And now we hear that in this judgment that people are terrorized by the wrath of the Lamb. Folks, that is the other side of our relationship with Jesus Christ. We're so thankful for his love and his grace and his sacrifice. We don't want to be the object of his wrath, though. It'll be terrible. People say, save us from this. And remember then the question was asked, who can stand in the midst of all this? Facing the wrath of God and the Lamb, is there anyone that can stand? And that question now is answered in chapter 7. As the proceedings, literally, these judgments are put on pause. Remember the old uh, boom boxes with the tape players where you could... You know, push the pause button and everything. Well, sometimes it would stop. Sometimes it would eat your tape. Uh, I'm glad for the technology that we have today. Well, literally, the pause button is put on all of the judgments. And there's a specific reason for that. We're going to be introduced to a vast group of people that will now be presented before this throne room, before John. And these will gloriously have God's protection from all of the judgments that will continue to come in the second part of the tribulation that is known as the great tribulation you think how can it get any worse so oh, folks it's going to as we continue to look through this but there will be a group of god's people that will have his protection his seal and they will serve and worship him and then there'll be a second group of people that will have been preserved through the already great tribulations that they've gone through and they will serve and worship him as well and as we see these groups, what we can draw from this, even today, is that as these folks are preserved and protected through these terrible times, all of God's people, folks, can find comfort in whatever we're going through. Whatever we're going through won't be as terrible as the tribulation, and yet God will preserve and protect us as well. Isn't that one of the things that we all struggle with is when going through great trials and very difficult things, things that maybe were unexpected, things that um, as they come may, may surprise us and say, Lord, why are you doing this? And there's great fear and there's anxiety in these things. And it's understandable from a human point of view. But these, this chapter reminds us that God will bring us through those things. If he can bring his people through the terrors of this time of judgment, folks, he can bring you through anything you're going through right now. He may not take you out of it, but he will bring you through it. And we will see that and be encouraged about that as well. We're going to see the preservation of the faithful today. Uh, reminded as I was studying, 
when my first years in ministry were, I felt the Lord's call to full-time vocational ministry. I was ministering in a small church in Central Florida, and many of you have heard that story before. Um, as a youth director, as a Christian school teacher, and some other things as well. And it was the second year that I was at the school, um, getting to know the young people. I was also, I, I, one of the things that I enjoyed doing, they allowed me to announce the basketball games. And so I had a lot of fun with that. I got to know some of the basketball players well. Well, I'll never forget, I got a phone call one evening that you never want to get. And I was um, house-sitting for a particular uh, family that I was friends with uh, by a lake. Everything was nice and calm and pristine and enjoying my time there. And I got a call from our senior pastor. He said, Jance has been in an accident and the Lord has taken him home. Well, Jance was a... 17-year-old young man who was one of the stars of our basketball team at the Christian school. Coming home from basketball practice one evening, playing basketball with friends, and I don't know if it was a truck or, or his car that swerved, but uh, somebody lost control, and as they were going around a corner, the truck struck Jansen, and he passed away immediately. And, you know, being a young young person in ministry myself thinking through Lord there's so many ramifications to this and this young man was so well known and he had a young lady that he was dating and the pastor said I think we need to go because although he wasn't a part of my youth group he was a part of the school his this young lady he was dating was in my youth group we went over the next day and she was in shock and her family her dad was the basketball coach for this young man they were all in shock and the pastor said some things that trying to encourage the best they can. Of course, we use scripture, and that's the best way to do it. I tried to say a few things and let her know that we were praying for her, but I really didn't have a lot to say at that point because I wanted to be careful in the midst of sudden grief not to say too much. And I just, as we walked away from that, I realized, Lord, in the end, I don't have anything in and of myself that's going to provide comfort for this young lady, for this family. It has to be you. I can't provide the comfort that they need at this time. And it was a reminder to me that even as God's servants, we only have so much capability in situations like this. But folks, this chapter in Revelation 7 reminds us that God is fully capable of providing all the comfort and help that we need in the darkest of times. And so let's, let's go ahead and skip to um, verse... 15, and we'll go back to at the beginning of the chapter after prayer. Verse 15 of chapter 7, Therefore they are before the throne of God, and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence, and they shall hunger no more, neither thirst no any more. The sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat, for the Lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd. And he will guide them to springs of living water. And God will wipe every tear from their eyes. In that moment when I was dealing with that young lady and her family, I couldn't take care of all the tears. But one day God will. And there will be no more weeping. And this is our hope. Let's pray together. Father, thank you as we go into this passage now. Prepare our hearts for this wonderful truth. That even through the most dire, difficult situations, the strange, unexpected things, that you preserve your people, even in death, and bring them through. 
and that you will be all that we need. We need no other person. We need no other leader but you. And help us remind us that as we uh, continue in this important book. Let us be encouraged today by these truths. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The answer to the question, who can stand? And now we will see four angels standing in verse 1. And we're going to see God's faithful people are protected. Of course, he enables us to be faithful. But as we're faithful, these people are faithful. God will protect them. And they are given consideration in the time of his judgments, in the time of his correction. God takes special note of his people as we go through these things. And he's going to do that now in the midst of this terrible sixth seal judgment. All of these things going on. There's a pause. Verse 1. And after this I saw four angels. These are now four additional angels that stand at what is described here as the four corners of the earth. Holding back the four winds of the earth. That no wind might blow on earth or sea or against any tree. Um, some cynics have looked at this and said, See, those Bible writers, they thought that the world was square. How silly. Well, that's not really what's going on here at all. This is more is describing uh, the four corners of, or the four directions, excuse me, of a compass. North, south, east, and west. Nothing um, mis to be misunderstood. God's not saying there's a square earth here or when, when obviously the earth is round. But these are at the four corners, north, south, east, and west. And they hold back then these four winds of the earth. Those four winds, as we continue to see in this passage, signify judgment and specifically the coming seventh bowl judgments, which we're going to find the seventh bowl judgments are going to be a series of terrible trumpet judgments. The terrible trumpet judgments will be the seventh seal judgment. And um, we're going to see how all that relates very soon. But that is held back. And it's described here as that no wind might blow on earth or sea or against any tree. The power and destructive force of these winds and of these judgments are described as getting ready to blow on the earth and, and blow uh, creation right down. And these are all put on pause for a minute. Well, for more than that. And we're going to see why here. But they're paused a specific purpose. And that is the preservation of God's people. God puts all his whole program of judgment on hold for the sake of his people. And now an additional angel arises. And it seems like he's coming from other responsibilities and work that he was doing on the earth to accomplish an even more important responsibility in this heavenly scene. And he says that he is coming from the rising of the sun, which is the east. And many times in Scripture, God's servants and his help and his salvation is described as coming from the east. And that's why those of us that live on the east coast, maybe we have a little bit of legitimacy when we say we live in God's country, right? Oh, I don't know. But that is um, the understanding of this description. Verse 2, Then I saw another angel ascending from the rising of the sun, from earth, and from the seal of the living, and with the seal of the living God. And he called from a, with a loud voice to the four angels who had been given power 
to harm earth and sea. And so we see that these angels are in charge of these winds that will bring this harm, this destruction to the earth and the sea. And they have been called to put a pause on that. This angel has this seal of protection that's described here. And he's going to seal faithful servants, specifically within the 12 tribes of Israel. Let's continue to read here. Saying He's saying to these angels that are holding back these winds of judgment, Do not harm the earth or the sea or the trees until we have sealed the servants of God on their foreheads. And I heard the number of the sealed, 144,000, sealed from every tribe of the sons of Israel. 12,000 from the tribe of Judah were sealed. 12,000 from the tribe of Reuben. 12,000 from the tribe of Gad. 12,000 from the tribe of Asher. 12,000 from the tribe of Naphtali. 12,000 from the tribe of Manasseh. 12,000 from the tribe of Simeon and Levi and Issachar and Zebulon and Joseph and the tribe of Benjamin were sealed. One scholar gave some helpful information here. This seal that's described here was usually in these times a signet ring that an oriental, oriental monarch affixed to give validity to official documents or to mark his property, the fact that he owned this particular thing, they would use that seal, this is mine, don't touch it. Our boys, with some of the things that they have at their house, projects and toys and, and uh, things that they own, would like to have that kind of seal, <laughs> where they could seal it and say, see, don't touch this ever. And we have to go through, well, you know, we, there's, there's issues of sharing and there's things, you know, that of course they need to ask, but it's not quite so absolute as you can never, ever touch my things. But this seal is absolute. And it says, this is mine. Do not touch. It was also used to authenticate and protect. And probably in this instance, we should expect this seal has the name of the land and God the Father as well. Interesting as we continue this study, in contrast, there's a Greek word that's used for the mark that one called the beast will later give to his followers. And that Greek word refers to branding or tattooing in pagan religious ceremonies, entirely different from this seal. God's people get the real deal, this seal of protection, not this awful branding that will only help people maybe for a limited time. This help is eternal. And the four angels are charged then with holding back the next judgments until God's servants have been sealed from protection, prominently displayed on the forehead. Now God's in the habit of doing this, right, ever since Genesis. Even wicked Cain received a mark of protection on his forehead. But these, these are faithful servants of God that will be marked as do not touch. These are mine. And continues on then uh, describing God's people are considered in the time of his judgments and they're preserved in the midst of his judgments. And now we kind of picture as we get into verse 4 through 8 as I just read, think of a processional that begins with representatives from these 12 tribes of Judah. Not all of the 12 tribes of Judah, but those who have put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ 
and are from the twelve tribes of Judah. Faithful servants are now sealed for protection, numbering 144,000. And these that are marked specifically before the second half of the tribulation, before the, the last three and a half years, they are being sealed for a purpose to be kept from the judgments of God in the second half, like I said, the great tribulation, also known in the Old Testament as the great day of the Lord, period of three and a half years. And these, from what we can tell in context here, will be Jewish witnesses that will witness of Jesus Christ. And they will be fully, they will be gospel oriented, but even more important to the context here, the very preservation of these folks in the midst of terrible happenings will in itself be a testimony of God's love and favor as God continues to send His wrath upon the earth. The fact that these people are not destroyed will, will um, distinguish them from everyone else. How are you able to withstand? How are you answering that question? How are you able to handle all of this? Well, I've been protected by the Lamb. I have the mark. Let me point you to Him. You need Him. You need to put your faith and trust in Him. And these 144,000 will be wonderful testimonies of God's love and favor. He loves me. He's favored me. Why don't you put your faith and trust in him too? And through that last half, we'll see them again. And we'll hear more about them. Interesting though, there are two tribes that are carefully avoided mention in this. I don't expect you to pick those out. But they're Dan and Ephraim. Normally the 12 tribes of Israel are rather than described as you normally in the list don't see a tribe described as Joseph. Why? Because he had two sons and those two sons were Ephraim and Manasseh. And they're usually described in the list. But this one uses Joseph rather than Ephraim. And Dan is not included at all. Well, we're not told for sure. But we do know this, as, as a possible answer, that in the Old Testament, these two tribes, now all these tribes had their foibles. All of Jacob's sons had their, had their sins and had their difficulties. But these two tribes in particular are described in the Old Testament. Their excessive waywardness is recorded. And many terrible things and, and uh, rejection of God many times. And probably what we ought to think of best here, why are these two not mentioned? Well, believers will come from these tribes. There will be those that trust Christ from every tribe, from all the, the quarters of the Jewish people. But what happens with these, these tribes will not be represented in this special group of witnesses to proclaim Christ because of their wayward testimony in the Old Testament. Probably a, a good idea of why that is taking place there. But let's not get too distracted by that. The point is, God's people, the Jewish people, will proclaim Christ, 144,000. God is giving grace and mercy to people during judgment and allowing them to still hear the gospel through these folks. We're also going to see that God's faithful people are comforted and they're delivered through his judgments. And here's a second group of people, verse 9. And after this I looked... And behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes, peoples, and languages, standing before the throne 
And before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands. And so this group appears, it's much broader than its representation, wouldn't you say? From all tribes and peoples and languages, every nation. Folks, that's people all over the world. Jew and Gentile. Mostly Gentile at this point. An innumerable large group from every people group all over the entire world. And they're dressed in purity of garment. That's important. And they're now going to add their own stanza to this worship song as they come together. We'll see in a minute who they are, but the most important thing that, that John notices and that we should notice first is that these folks are giving worship to the Lamb and to God the Father. It's not The most important thing isn't their identity, but the most important thing is that these are God's people that are worshiping Him, and that comes first. So the description of how they worship Him now in verse 10, they're going to ascribe and honor the one that has given them salvation, the one on the throne in the Lamb. And probably we should see them as more distance from the throne than the, ever, the other heavenly participants who now will, uh, uh, after the statement of these, will also worship Him. Look at verse 10. And crying out with a loud voice. They don't do anything halfway here. The worship is full volume. Right? There's no tepid worship in heaven, folks. It's, it's, it's not noisy, but it's full volume. It's commanding. And they say salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb as the Lamb is still in the midst, breaking the seals. Even the pause, He is there and the one on the throne. And these folks are worshiping Him. And then all of the creatures that we've already been introduced to agree with this assessment. Verse 11, And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures, the cherubim. And they fell on their faces. All of these are now submitting themselves and falling before the throne and worshiped God. Providing their assent to what they've just heard saying, Amen. Let it be. This is truth. So be it, what they've just said. And let us add. Now this should be a common theme for us as we've studied this together. And it ought to be a common theme in our worship services as well. We should never tire of these things. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen says our God. And it's also referring to the Lamb. The Lamb is our God. Well, uh, these people are delivered through judgments and so they're ascribing their salvation to God. And they echo what's been stated before, but it's still wholly appropriate, isn't it? And needed at this moment. This is a statement of eternal worship. Blessing. The fact that, not that they're giving God blessing, but that they're being thankful for all that God is and the blessings that He gives and who He is. And they're ascribing to Him His characteristics and that He is blessed because of who He is, His very nature. They're not giving Him any extra blessings here. And then glory, the radiant glory of heaven. 
here and the glory of the Lamb. They're just ascribing and assenting to this. You have all the glory. They're not giving Him any additional. But you have it all and you have all wisdom. And the Word is standing right there. The epitome of wisdom in the Old Testament. The ultimate fulfillment of the application of God's Word and all of that means. They are there before them. And they deserve all gratitude and thanks because they've been saved from terrible, terrible judgments and honor. God, the Father, and the Son are worthy of all of our honor for all eternity and power. Not adding to His power, but recognizing that He is all-powerful, omnipotent, and might has the idea of He is worthy. He is fully worthy of all of this ascribed to Him. He is 100% the real thing. He is God. He is able to do all things. Be to our God eternally. And let it be so. This is truth. That again, folks, that is a worship theme we will never tire of. We, we probably, even, even when we sing in our services, there are some songs that we like more than others. Each of us have our own affinity for different things, and some we like, oh, I hope, I hope Kirk picks that again soon. And others were like, you know, if he doesn't pick that till next year, that'd be fine. But we're never going to tire of this song. We're going we're gonna to be glad to join in and sing again, over and over again. This is the theme of heavenly worship. So John is looking at all this and he's wondering, well, who is the second group? But he didn't want to say anything. I can imagine that I'd feel the same way in the midst of all this. I'd be a little intimidated to say uh, anything at all. But one of the elders kind of read his mind, anticipated his question, his wonderment over this vast crowd. And so he asked him, verse 13, then one of the elders addressed me saying, who are these clothed in white robes? From where have they come? Why are they clothed in white robes? Why have they come in innumerable multitudes? Certainly John was wondering these things, but he's very wise and very humble here. And he responds, I said to him, "Uh, Sir, you know. And John is really saying, he's deferring back to this one who obviously knows. He has no idea of himself. So he says, in a kind way, you tell me. And the elder is glad to do that. And he said to me, these are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. Now this is the second group here. Beyond the 144,000. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. And these then are the believers from all over the corners of the globe as we say. The globe's not square, but you know what I mean from all over the world that have died seemingly by our time frame here and what we can understand from the first half of the tribulation period. You might say, well, I thought we already covered those. They were under that throne, that that, uh, that sacrificial, not throne, sacrificial um, altar of incense. Well, that these include them, but they also include, in a broader scope, all believers who have died during this first half of the tribulation. Not just those that are martyred, but those also of natural causes. All of those that have died at this point, 
and named the name of Jesus Christ, they're all represented here. And at this point, they're seemingly represented as having their new bodies and what that will be like because it talks about what they're holding in their hands. Remember, the martyrs under the altar were still souls. These seem uh, to be represented. They're actually wearing their white robes and they're waving palm branches. And remember, um, when you wave palm branches in New Testament times, well, and Old Testament times, in Bible times, it was a sign of that you were acknowledging authority and that someone great was standing before you that was worthy of your, um, of your attention and your worship and the gladness of being in their midst. And that is certainly appropriate when standing in the midst of the Lamb and the one on the throne. And so these are waving palm branches and they're worshiping and they're joyous in what they're doing. But that last part of verse 14, they have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. It almost sounds like something that they have done. But it's not really, he's not describing them as having, as being capable of cleaning or cleansing their own robes. Because he says at the end, it's in the blood of the Lamb. So they're submitting, they submitted through faith to the cleansing of the blood of the Lamb. This isn't an action that they do, but it's submission to the actions of Christ. That through his blood they are cleansed and they are pure and they have these white robes. Folks, they are truly cleansed indeed. They are pure. Standing before the one on the throne. And God and the Lamb have done it all. They have provided salvation and protection and preservation. And so this is that great multitude that the elder describes here. Then, in these last verses, 15 through 17, the elder now breaks into poetic form as he describes the the service of these faithful ones and the blessings that are now in store for them. These faithful believers, again, from all over the world, will join the worship that's already taken place in that heavenly throne room and raise their voice, and they've already stated, we've already gone through that. And they will be given service opportunities, as we'll see in verse 15. And they won't be hindered anymore by need for sleep or for rest. They'll be able to do this nonstop. Because that very, their very presence in there means that they are experiencing eternal rest. No more troubles. No more trials. No more need to rest the body. Because they're home. They can serve and worship the Lamb and worship the one on the throne forever. Verse 15, therefore, they are before the throne of God. They've been made pure to be able to do that. You can't be before the throne of God in heaven and not be cleansed of your sin. That is evidence. And serve Him day and night in His temple. They will have opportunities for service and continued ministry throughout all eternity. Again, not those silly cartoons or... or demonstrations and movies and things of people on clouds strumming little harps and cherubs and things like that. That's that's foolishness for children, right? This is so much more glorious and grand that we will worship before God. There will be music by many instruments. And we will also have responsibilities before Him. We'll have to wait till we get there to find out what those are. But we will serve Him for all eternity. 
in the Holy Temple there, perhaps in the New Jerusalem as well. <clears throat> but in the midst of that, these faithful that will continue their responsibilities throughout all eternity, now we hear of the blessings that they receive from the one on the throne. God is so gracious. Yes, he deserves all honor and glory, but he will honor and preserve and take care of those who worship him of his own. And the rest of this is a description of that. Verse 15, he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. The one who sits on the throne will protect them, will provide them eternal security. He's going to meet all their needs and deliver them from the intense judgments that are still to come. He'll shelter them with his presence, protection. They'll hunger, verse 16, no more, neither thirst anymore, all their needs met. The sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat. One of the terrible, terrible judgments still to come is an awful heat that will burn people mercilessly. And these folks will never have to experience that. <clears throat> if you've ever, I know we still have some folks in Florida, maybe you're nursing a burn, a sun, a sunburn. You missed a spot with the lotion or whatever. And that hurts. It's painful. Folks, these, these individuals will never experience the harm or the burn of the sun again. Protected from all of these things. Wonderful. Glorious. He will meet all their needs. And then verse 17, the beginning of 17, we have the ultimate fulfillment of Psalm 23, really. For the lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd. Isn't that ironic? Isn't that a contrast? A lamb will be a shepherd. How is that possible? Only because it's Jesus Christ. He was able, he's the shepherd of the sheep, but he was able to offer himself up as the Lamb of God who was slain. So the Lamb truly knows how to take care of the sheep. He is our shepherd, and he will be their shepherd. You think of all the promises in Psalm 23 and other passages where it talks about good shepherds. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And then, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. But these folks have come through that. They'll never walk another valley of the shadow of death again. Jesus will provide all of these things. You know how it ends then. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And they are to that point. They will dwell there for all eternity. And Jesus will be their shepherd. Oh, we ought to long for that. No more weariness. No more susceptibility to sin. Just be able to serve God forever and still be led by the Lamb. Wonderful, wonderful blessings. They'll be refreshed physically and spiritually forever. He will guide them to springs of living water. Spiritual refreshment is more in mind here as they learn of God and His Word forever. And any great sorrow or emotional pains will be healed and alleviated. And remember, these have gone through great trials through this first part of the tribulation. The church has been delivered. 
And so these believers have had to take, and even if, if it's possible, but it's true, a greater stand than anyone that's ever been on this earth has had to take before. And they've had great emotional pain and physical pain that they've had to endure through this tribulation. And great sorrows beyond ones that we'll ever experience here. And they are in need of comfort. Jesus is ready to do that. Jesus is the one who can literally wipe away, as God, all of their tears. What a beautiful testimony that is. And you know, folks, even today, even though we're not there yet, we're not in this throne room, we go through a lot of difficulties, and it's a good reminder to us that God can wipe away our tears too. Yeah, we're going to suffer. We're going to go through hard things. We're going to go through great difficulties at times. And even as I was looking at that young lady's face and the loss of her very close friend, I couldn't literally take those tears from her. But I knew that if we could point her to Scripture, that Jesus and the Holy Spirit could work in her heart in a way that I could not and comfort her. This young man had a sister wasn't a part of our youth group. She attended another youth group, but we were having, it was Wednesday evening right after um, this had happened the very next day. And for youth group, I decided we're not going to have um, a, a specific teaching time, but we're just going to have a testimony time, and we're going to sing, and we're going to calm these young people's hearts. And just remember Jance and their friendship with him and what he meant to them. Well, as we started... A group came in from the back. It was some of his closest friends that, that didn't attend our youth group and his sister. She was there, and I let them talk as well. And it was it was soothing. It seemed to be helpful. But I went up to this young lady at the end, Jance's sister, and she was remarkable. She was different from the others. She had this smile on her face. And I had to ask her, why are you smiling like giving you joy. And she described in her own way that she was thinking of the joy that her brother was experiencing in heaven. And that was causing her joy. And that was a reminder to me that that is the ultimate answer for death. Is that we will be in the presence of God forever and rejoicing and being joyful with Him. And she understood at that early time, she just lost her brother, maybe just about 24 hours after that. She understood. That is, the, that is the salve. That is the healing ointment, is this picture of wonderful, eternal worship and service and joy in God's preservation, even through death and His soothing and His comfort. That is the ultimate answer to the most difficult times In the midst of the horrors of judgment and the seven-year tribulation, God will preserve and bring his people through to everlasting bliss. That's what we see here. Marvelous. But folks, let's apply that very specifically to us today. Because if God's going to do that for his people then, then God can carry his people through any trial they have today. And what should our response be to that? Blessing and 
glory wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Father, thank you for this wonderful reminder that whatever we face, that you will calm our hearts. You will, you will carry us through. And in the midst of great sorrow here on earth, you can literally, you have the answer for our tears. One day you will wipe those away and we will we will weep no longer. That we hope he joyous in. in this broken, difficult, frustrating, this overwhelming world that we live in today, and all the circumstances and the anger and the murder and and the immorality and all of this, Lord, we need this reminder that you are in control and that even when we face difficult things that you have the salve and the healing that we need when we turn to you. These are at bread found at the end of their long journey. We know we're still in the middle of ours. We know you will take care of us and you'll preserve us and help us to persevere to the end. So, Lord, we throw ourselves at your feet. We honor and worship you. We worship the Lamb for the salvation that he has provided. Because we know through that that all good things will come to us and we will be seen to the end and serve you forever. Let us go from here with that song on our lips. Enjoy knowing that whatever we face that you will take care of us. This we ask in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.